This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Hi, folks. Back here with uh, Tim Sullivan from the Alaska Railroad. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing great. How are you doing this afternoon, Jeff? Pretty good. I've known you for, I'm trying to think, it's been years. I've seen you around. Yeah, at least a half dozen or more. When I was uh, involved in the community council, I was in the Federation of Community Councils, and there was times where these railroad things came up, and I was like, oh, there's Tim. Yeah, so the, you know we uh, we cross through a heck of a lot of community councils, that's for sure, and so we get uh, opportunities to go talk to folks at, uh, and by we I mean me, uh, I get the opportunities to go talk to a lot of folks everywhere from South Anchorage and Girdwood all the way up to uh, Birchwood on the other side. And the railroad's fascinating; it, cro- it crosses through so much of of Anchorage, but then so much of the of the state, really. So uh, we can talk about that later. I want to talk about the history of the railroad a little bit and uh, of the railroad kind of issues, but let's go way back. So you're a Sullivan. I am a Sullivan, yes. Part part of the Irish Irish family, right? Yeah, or the Irish mafia, depending on how you want to put it. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, the, the departed. <laughs> Wasn't the guy's name Sullivan? Uh, his, there was a Sullivan. There was a Colin Sullivan, and that happens to be my son's name. So you know, it uh, no connection at all. Exactly. Uh, so when I first met you years ago, I had thought you were one of George Sullivan's kids because Casey Sullivan, who I know, is also one of the kids. And you guys are like the same age, right? We are. We're about nine months apart, but Casey's actually my uncle. There were, you know, uh, Grandpa George had nine kids. My dad uh, was the oldest of the nine. Casey was the youngest of the nine. And then I was the first of the grandchildren uh, to come along. And there's 20, 20 plus years between my dad and Casey. And uh, so, it, it, you know, we, Casey and I went to high school together, graduated together. And so we and we run around in town and run around in the same circle. So, so you went to high school with your uncle? Yes, I did. Was that like a weird, were people like, hey, uncle... Case, like, that- well, you know, everybody else thought it was weird, but that was the way I grew up, right? I mean, all my life, my uncle had been the same age as me, and it didn't seem to be anything odd. It was odd to other folks, but, you know, who cares what other folks think? Exactly, yeah, no, fuck them, that's what I say. <laughs> uh, so, so Dan, Mayor Dan is your uncle. Mayor Dan is my uncle. Wow, so you, so you, so you grew up... Um, uh, your grandpa was mayor when you must have been pretty young, right? He was mayor before I was born. So he was mayor here starting in 67 and through 81. And so when I was born in 70, and I, you know, one of the things, I was one of the only family members, I'm in fact my only immediate family member that was not born in Alaska. My Both my parents were born here, uh, all of my siblings, both my kids, all born here in Alaska. I was born in Cottage Grove, Oregon, just outside of the University of Oregon uh, area down there. Uh, but for my whole life growing up, uh, for the first 10, almost 12 years, Grandpa was mayor of Anchorage. So wh- why were you born in Oregon? Were they was it traveling or was there... Uh, my, my folks were still going to college uh, down at the University of Oregon. And oh, so okay. just uh, that's where they were at the point in time. And then they moved back here shortly after I was born, within a couple of months. Do you ever get... I, be, I bet you get some 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 shit from, from your family, like, oh, you uh, weren't born here. You know, I get a little bit of grief. I think it's probably more internal than it is external. <laughs> you know, I, I, I take it in as, you know, when they all say, yeah, born and raised Alaskan, and I kind of try and throw out the lifelong Alaskan. <laughs> uh, raised. Uh, yeah, I just get the raised part. That's the, that's the only good So part. I moved here in 04 when I was 19, so I was not raised or not born here. Um, and I've just noticed that whole kind of born and raised or lifelong for like politicians or for people, 
if if you if you came here when you were like I, I make this joke if you came here when you were like six months old if you're eighty you cannot say born like you like it, it, it you weren't born here that's 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 what I'm gonna have to deal with my entire life you know the other <laughs> the other thing that we get to throw out and this is a bit of a humble brag I recognize that uh, is that I'm a fifth generation Alaskan is that my uh, great great grandfather was a steamboat captain in South Central Alaska here between Cordova and Seward and Valdez and that whole area my great grandmother Viola Murray was uh, lifelong in Valdez uh, wow and uh, and she was a she was the first woman mayor in Alaska. She was the mayor of Valdez for a while. My grandfather, George, uh, again, not born in Alaska because back at that point in time when women, uh, you know, were pregnant and about to have children, they'd ship them out of state so they'd have their babies in the lower 48 and then come back to Alaska. So Really? Uh, oh, because just better hospitals? Better hospitals, just sort of a, uh, you know, some sort of mythology that went on back then, some belief that you had to leave the state in order to have children. I don't know exactly how that worked and that things would be better and safer if you left the state. But so, you know, Grandpa then grew up in Valdez, uh, was one of the Kennecott kids, worked on the, you know, worked on the mine, worked on the docks in Valdez, ended up being a U.S. Marshal, serving in World War II. And then he and Grandma uh, settled in Nenana. Uh, and uh, and then uh, after a few years in Enana, moved to Fairbanks, and then after a few years in Fairbanks, moved down here to Anchorage, and the rest is history. This is where we've been. Wow. So so did, did they did they know when they were in Enana? The Coghills have a Enana connection, right? I mean, oh, they, absolutely. They, oh yeah, absolutely. They're very close to the Coghills. That was uh, their two families were really close to each other up there. Uh, my dad is the same age as uh, one of the Coghill girls, uh, and they uh, you know they knew each they've known each other for forever up there. So I did a podcast with your uh, aunt, Colleen Sullivan Leonard, from from Juno. That was one of my early uh, legislative podcasts. We had a really. Have you, have you, have you, ever, have you heard that one? Uh, I've heard parts of it. I uh, you know I always get this where I turn it on and then something else comes up and I've got to go jump away from it. So I always have to restart it from the beginning. It's kind of like watching uh, uh, watching an episode of uh, something on TV where you leave it for long. House of like, Cards. Uh, maybe House of Cards, where you got to jump back to the beginning and figure out what the heck are where, they talking where, about? Where am I at? <laughs> exactly. When I when I did a podcast with her, I had just done a podcast uh, day before with Grier Hopkins, representative Hopkins. Yes. And he had he had talked to me about how he met his uh, his now wife, I think fiance on Tinder. So on the podcast, I mentioned that, and she's like, "What's Tinder?" So I explained to her what Tinder was. Yeah. And then she was like, "Well, I met my husband like on a blind date," and she like explained that whole. She did. Yes. So it's like kind of like old school Tinder, you know. Yeah, and she and Ted are great. You know, Ted's a great addition to the family. We love having him around. So you you born in Oregon, but you you came back to Alaska when you were a couple of months old. So a little, little baby. Yep. And then you you grew up here, went to school here, and then you went to. I guess school yourself, and then you came back. And you used to work in the legislature, right? I did. I spent six years working in the legislature. Uh, worked on various committees as a staffer to a couple of legislators down there, and had a had a great time. It was six years, right out of college. Great education. Great way to figure out how how a, a, a variety of things work in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, there were all sorts of opportunities you could go to work at one place and figure out how that industry works, but get an idea of how the oil industry works, how fisheries work, how tourism works, how social services work, how the state industry, the state as an industry works as well. And so it was really good education to do that for a few years. Where'd you go to, where'd you go to college? I went to Gonzaga. Oh, nice. Yeah. A lot of Alaskans went to Gonzaga. Well, when I went there, and it was feels like about 100 years ago, uh, it was one of the top 10 schools that people from Alaska went to. I don't know where it ranks now, but, you know, you had University of Washington, Washington State, University of Oregon, Oregon State, a few other smatterings of schools, and then Gonzaga was number nine or 10 for Alaskans leaving the state going to school. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of friends here that, 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 went to, went to, went to Gonzaga. Yeah, it's a wonderful school, a great opportunity. Was just down there last year taking a look at the campus again for, uh, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's nice to get back every so often and check things out. So you, you have kids, right? I do. I have two. 
So they're how old are they? So my daughter is 17. She's a senior in high school, and my son is 11, and he's uh, just started seventh grade. So are you kind of hoping the daughter goes to Gonzaga? Well, she's really uh, looking hard at Gonzaga right now. She's got some other schools that are top of her list as well. Uh, you know, for for good Catholic kids, we went out and visited Notre Dame this summer, and of course, Notre Dame uh, is, uh, is is pretty much the top of the list for any Catholic kid, especially when you walk on campus. It's like, oh, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> so you know, we, we've got a uh, we've got a few opportunities here, but that whole process starts up here real fast you know you've got to do the FAFSAs and the and the the common applications and uh and financial aid stuff and every college is just sending out so much stuff and just overwhelming but it's a lot of fun so I have some friends right now that that have kids that are you know high school going to college yeah they're right now they're like out and taking their kids to college dropping their kids off it's kind of like this I've texted some friends like oh I'm taking my kid to college I'll be back in a week so I think in a year you'll be there, right? You'll be- uh, in a year I'll be there, and uh, I'll, I'll be the guy that'll be weeping on the on the street corner. I'll be the guy going, "God, I can't believe she's left." You know that sort of thing. So uh, no, really looking forward to it. Looking forward to her having that opportunity to get out to school and. Um, you know, it's great to see kids, uh, a lot of kids who are really looking at what their opportunities are going to uh-huh. be and what the future holds. And all of them that are talking about coming back here to Alaska and doing great things, which just uh, I absolutely love. So you came you came back and then you got a job in the, the legislature. I did. Did you have any, I mean, your, your, your grandpa was mayor, your family's political, so you must have had a been familiar with the process or of kind of how politics works a little bit? Yeah, being in the political field, uh, you know, the political spectrum field, whatever you want to call it, uh, I didn't lick it off a rock. It was one of those things that... You weren't me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to run for office. Yeah, Great. so so both sides of my family had been involved in politics in the state for a long, long time. Uh, Grandpa George, as you mentioned, uh, uh, and then uh, on my mom's side of the family, my grandfather, Russ Meekins, was uh, in the first Alaska state legislature as well. Oh, wow. Uh, and so he served in that. Really? And then uh, my mom and my Uncle Russ, Jr., also served in the Alaska legislature in the 70s. So it was What's your mom's? Susan Sullivan. She she served as uh, she served in 1974 to 76. She was elected in 74, served 75 to 76. So, oh, wow. And then uh, my uncle served. Uh, so you were a little kiddo. I was. I was a little kid. Went to kindergarten there in Juneau, uh, you know, at the little school, which is now one of the state office buildings. The Terry Miller building up behind the Capitol. That oh, was, yeah, that was been, my kindergarten. I've been there. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's one of those things that... Uh, kind of kind of in your blood. In, yeah. It's, you know, got a, got a long apprenticeship hanging out with family doing those sorts of things. So you, you came back and you, you applied for a job or you just put your name, you said, hey, I'm looking for work and somebody called you or how that... So I uh, heard through the grapevine and actually uh, that uh, Tim Kelly, who was a senator at the time, was looking for a staffer, reached out to him and he said, no, I don't have any room for you, uh, but why don't we meet and talk about what you might be interested in doing? So I had an opportunity to meet with Tim. A couple of weeks later, about the day before session started, there had been some shuffling around of personnel. Some people moved over to the administration, other people moved over to other offices, and he had an entry-level uh, you know, researcher position that opened up, and uh, he invited me to come down and work for him for a session, which which was a really great opportunity. So what year was that? That was 1993. Wow. So that was, uh, must have been so different now. I mean, even you go back 10 years, but I mean, you go talking about 25 years, but I mean, just like must have been just so nowadays with, with, and I was there for the last session, you know, reporting and writing, yep. writing stuff, but it's just, I mean, it's so divided and there's so much, you even go back 10 years and I think things probably were, were more amicable, but 
What was it like in like the 90s? Well, people always say the same thing. You know, you should have been here yes, last year. Things worked a lot better. Or you should have been here last year. There, you know, it was uh, people weren't as divisive as they were. And that's always been a conversation. Um, and I know people feel like things are really divided right now. But you, you can see that uh, you, you can see that in just about any era that you look at. There are times when people are able to work together that uh, they're doing the best for the state. And I think you can see some of that going on in the legislature right now. And um you know, we're the the things that we agree on are far outweigh the number of things that people disagree oh. on at this point in time. So, how, how long were you a staffer for? Six years. So, you were there basically during the Knowles time. I was there for the Knowles time. Yeah. Um, what did you do after you got out of legislature? Hold on. What's, what's your what, during your six years there? What was the one story or one thing that happened where you were like, "Wow, this is Juno"? Some some stand out. Uh, Boy, I don't know that the uh, I don't, know, this, the I don't tri- know the statute of limitations is up on those. Yet. Did you ever go to the tri- Did you ever go to the triangle? <laughs> oh yeah, the triangles. Of, yes, you know, sit down with Jules there at the triangle, and uh, you know, and uh, and spend the evening just uh, talking about things that are going on and having a good time with folks who show up down. So there. You, you go to Juno now for work, right? I do on occasion. Yeah. So is it is it like how much different is it now than it, it was when you were when you were there as a staffer twenty some years ago? You know, it does seem to be a lot quieter. There's you know been a lot of uh, uh, a lot less opportunities for people to a lot fewer opportunities for people to get together and sort of uh, have a camaraderie, figure out, you know, you talk about divisiveness. One of the things that you have to have is opportunities outside of the, the, uh, uh, the, the Coliseum or whatever you want to call it, where huh. people are fighting all the time over issues. You have to have time to be able to get together on a social level, to get together outside of the office, to be able to recognize what sort of similarities you have and the things that you can work together on. I, I think that uh, I'm seeing less and less of that, which is unfortunate. There need to be more opportunities for people to be able to get together and and, uh, um, and recognize where they can work together. There is some good, I, I, fi- I found out there's like the char or some, you know, corporation or something, they'll have these like little um, labor groups will do it. The, these kind of get-togethers after after, after six o'clock mm-hmm. somewhere in Juneau, and there's uh, there's always like a lot of food and booze, which I really enjoy. Those <laughs> well, I always stop by. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, free free food and free booze are amazing. Uh, how they attract people. It's a, it's always a greasy greasy kind of chicken type food too. Well, which... those jalapeno poppers oh, are yeah. some of the best things in the oh, world. Yeah. <laughs> so you you got, you got done with Juno, and then what what? What was your next move? Well, then I sort of uh, hung up a shingle and uh, tried my own, uh, tried working my own consulting business. I did some resource development and government relations consulting. Uh, worked on a few campaigns. Worked on uh, Lisa Murkowski's first campaign for U.S. Senate. Worked on Dan's campaign for first campaign for mayor. Worked on a couple of ballot initiatives. Uh, did some work for fisheries. Uh, around the state. Uh, so was it like Tim Sullivan Consulting? It or? was Tim Sullivan Consulting. That's exactly what it was. Is that what it was called? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. I swear to God, I didn't know you that. Know, I, just, had, I, just, I, I had that, a little black and white business card. That's all it said. Tim it really, Sullivan Consulting and a phone number. It really and said that. It really did. My branding skills. I mean, I just literally just said that. I had no folks. I had no idea that's what it was called. I, swear I don't know to God. if I don't know if it was a complicated set of branding as much as what would be the easiest thing to put out there so that people know who this is. See, I mean, what, see, what was I going to do? Say, you know, uh, the Irish Walker, uh, you know, consulting, and they'd have to figure that one out. I don't know. See, if I had a consulting, it'd be high impact consulting. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you did that for. So you had a, your kid seventeen. So you must have been born what two thousand two. She was born in two thousand two. 
She was born in 2002. So that was, uh, so I quit the legislature, uh, got married in 2001, had a kid in 2002, um, was doing the consulting gig here and there. I worked for, you know, I worked for the North Pacific, some folks at the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council. I worked for the Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation. Uh, I did some work for the Alaska uh, Health, uh, Alaska Hospital Association, did some work for BP and Conoco here and there. And I did some work for groups at the national level, uh, telecommunications groups and small aircraft folks so it was just a matter uh, the, of picking the, the gambit the gambit a little bit of picking up clients here and there all over the place which was great it was just fun to be able to be around the state working on projects working with people and getting to have conversations about all sorts of issues how'd you meet the wife uh sh- i met my wife my sophomore year of high school when she was scooping, no. she was scooping ice cream at uh, at uh, baskin robbins and i was bagging groceries at cars on diamond you want to get a little scoop uh, I went to go get a little scoop, and I got some ice cream, and, uh, you know, we knew each other for a little bit then, and then we didn't see each other for a number of years, and then uh, we met up again senior year of college, and, you know, it uh, it, uh, it just happened to be. It worked out great. So much better back then. You actually, people have, now it's like, hey, we met on Tinder. We met uh, on Bumble. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. No, I've, you know, it, uh, you had more opportunities to meet up because people weren't doing so much social media and, mm-hmm. and you didn't have the opportunities. You know, one of the, I, now we're talking about dating scenes and, and I, you know, I don't know anything about the all, dating all, scene. All, I haven't been in the dating scene in 30 we, years. We, we so. should do a landmine love episode with me and Tim Sullivan. Because <laughs> we know so much about <laughs> it. But the fact that social media didn't exist back then and the only way you knew anything about somebody else is if you turned to your friend and you said, hey, do you know this guy or do you know this girl? And then you'd get a little bit of scuttlebutt here and there a little bit of information about who they were and then you had to go find out on your own you had to sit down over coffee or beer or dinner or at a movie or whatever it was and find out who this person was now you take 10 minutes you go on social media and you go oh my god they like that movie i can't date them uh you know it takes all the fun out of it, it takes all the adventure they're out conservative of it. or they're oh, progressive or whatever it is you know if politics kept you from dating people it, oh man it, it just would uh, it, it, that's sad the world would cease to exist the world would cease to exist years. yeah uh, so when did you get into the how the railroad thing come about? So I was working for the state. After I did the consulting business, I got a job over at the Department of Commerce doing a little work for them for about a year and a half. And then I got a call from the railroad. Um, they had gone through some... Uh, they'd gone through some tough economic times. It had really made some severe cuts over there, realized they might have cut a little deep on some of their public relations and outreach. And so uh, they asked me to come over and do some work for them, uh, did some work. And boy, eight years later, I'm still here and having a wonderful time doing it. So the railroad uh, was started by the federal government. And in the 80s, they sold it essentially to the state, correct? Yeah, exactly. And it became a state-run, it's a state-run corporation. It is a state-owned corporation, not state-run. State, state-owned. Okay, so they have the they have the board. The governor um, appoints. But the governor appoints everybody on the board. There are seven members. Two of them are commissioners. You have the commissioner of uh, Department of Transportation and Public Facilities, and the commissioner of Commerce and Community Economic Development. Uh, and then there are five public members who fit specific seats, whether it be uh, to you know a couple of them are based on region, whether they come from uh, this judicial district or that judicial district, they fit you know somebody who knows railroad management, somebody who's a business owner here in Alaska, and somebody who represents the unions uh, that uh, are on the uh, property at the Alaska Railroad. So there's a passenger aspect, but mm-hmm. there's really the the cargo aspect is is a big is that a bigger a revenue generator? Oh, absolutely. I mean, by 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 a big chunk. Uh, you know, uh, f- passenger service is what we're known for because people see those trains in the summertime and in the winter too. You know, with the bright silver trucks underneath them and all the people who hopefully are happy going or coming from wherever mm-hmm. it is that they're uh, here. To I like see. The, I like the chamber ones down to Girdwood. Yeah, those. I are always fun. I always get very loose on those. 
Well, that doesn't surprise me, Jeff. You know, you're that. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, we do enjoy those charter trains. You know, it's one of those things that we like to do in the shoulder season. S- ski train. The ski train is fantastic. Um, we've got a couple that are going out here. You know, we've got the beer train going out here in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's sold out already. But then our Christmas holiday train mm-hmm. is coming up in December. We run six of those over the course of three weekends, and those sell out like hotcakes. I mean, they are just, people know about it. They are ready for it. They're waiting for it to pop up on our website. And within a day... All of those sell out. It's 700 people a day, so it's, we're selling over 2,000 tickets, and they are just gone. And, uh, and, and that is a great way for us to reach out for, to the community, to give people who live here an opportunity to go on the train, uh, and we love doing it. So the cargo, it's, it's like minerals, I assume, and it's, it's oil, is it oil, is it? So we've had, you know, a variety of, uh, of, of lines of traffic that we've moved uh, on the trains for over the years. Uh, for a long time, refined petroleum from the uh, refinery up in North Pole was our biggest line of business. When that shut down, that uh, cut out that line of business altogether. I read, I read that was a big, that was a hit, hit for you guys, right? Was Econ- a economic hit. That was a huge hit for us. Uh, and, uh, you know, the irony of ironies is when they tore that thing down, we got to haul out the scrap. But uh, oh, wow. so, you know, we're working on process to uh, get uh, moving refined petroleum north. Uh, and so we've got some opportunities to do that here soon. And we think that'll be a great line of business for us. Uh, we move coal both from Healy, both north up to Fairbanks and to the uh, military bases up in the interior to power their uh, uh, for their power plants. And uh, we used to move coal south to Seward for export, but that's been um, that's been shut down for a couple of years now just because of the world market and uh, and and the way that works. So where, where exactly? So I, I kind of I don't know the direct answer, but but generally the train goes up to past Fairbanks, right? Well, like our, where does it terminate? Uh, our trains actually go all the way to Isleson. We can haul coal all the way out there, but most of our freight, ninety nine percent of our freight and our passengers, all stop at uh, Fairbanks. And then going the other way, we go it goes past Se- Se- Seward. It goes or? all the way to Seward. And then we've got a couple of branches that go off. We've got Whittier. Uh, you know, we've got opportunities. Oh to go yeah, that, the tunnel. We've got going through the tunnel into Whittier, which is a great, uh, which is a great trip. And then, uh, you know, we we move gravel out of Palmer and bring that into Anchorage as well. So and they have the, the they have the fair, the fair uh, state fair stop and we too, run right? The state fair trains out there every year as well. So, since, why why did the federal government start the railroad? And then why did they decide to sell it to the state back in the 80s? Well, let's see. So in 1914, the U.S. Uh, Congress passed the Alaska Engineering Commission Act, which allowed for the building of the railroad and gave a, a thousand miles of right of way for building a railroad. Uh, the president signed it and appropriated it and sent up all these. Is that Wilson? Uh, uh, that was. 14. Oh, I bet you it was Wilson. Was, yeah, that was Wilson. And then Harding was up here in 23 for the completion of it in Nenana for driving the Golden Spike I went to there. the uh, governor's mansion recently. And I saw that picture of Harding in Alaska. Harding, yeah. Actually, Mike Dunleavy, I was there, and he showed me the picture, and he goes, do you know who that is? And I go, that's Warren Harding. And he goes, oh, you're, most people don't know who that is, you know, and he explained it was commemorating the railroad deal. Yeah, and then, uh, so what's interesting is looking at the picture, and we've got one of these up on the wall, as you see, it's Warren Harding, and then standing next to him is one of his... Um, Secretaries of Commerce, mm-hmm. which was uh, Herbert Hoover yep, that's at right. the time. And so, I, I remember, very vividly remember that picture where I go, wow. There's Hoover too. Yeah, so it's uh, you know a lot of history in that. So uh, they the the purpose of the railroad was twofold. One, um, you know, World War One was uh, was on the horizon, and the the U.S. Uh, Navy in the Pacific needed coal 
to power their ships. And so the coal that was in Sutton and uh, in those areas was incredibly important for the war effort and for keeping the Navy going uh, going in the Pacific, giving them another great source of coal, as well getting to resources in the interior, getting the gold in Fairbanks and those sorts of things uh, was another big aspect of it, uh, getting that all down to Tidewater in Seward. Seward was where the terminus was. And then they, they moved the headquarters to Anchorage, which really created Anchorage in 1914-1915 time frame uh, because of all the railroad workers here. Uh, railroad was completed in 23. Uh, 60 years later, uh, it was fallen into pretty serious disrepair. It had been run by the feds for a number of years, you know, for all of that time. At, for a certain period of time through World War II, the military ran it. And it there was there was an idea in D.C. and had been back to the Nixon administration to just sell it for scrap. And really? a lot of great folks here in the state fought really hard to keep it because in a state, as we like to say down at the railroad, that is woefully lacking in infrastructure, having this rail belt that goes from tidewater to the interior is critically important. Well, and, I mean, the, the ter- term rail belt is, you know, you talk about rail belt utilities or that's right. just the rail belt. And I mean, that's a very specific term that describes all of you know where the where the railroad goes so i couldn't imagine if there was no railroad it would be uh you know it'd be interesting to know how we were moving things i mean even today the conversation still comes about comes up about why we didn't move through the railroad up to the north slope yeah i I was i was gonna ask you that so at that point in time there was you know the amount of oil that they thought was up on the north slope was a lot less than what they've moved out of there already and hindsight being 2020 uh it would have made sense to build the railroad up there but at that point in time looking at how much they thought was there uh, that didn't quite pencil out. If we'd if we'd known then what we know now, it certainly would have penciled out. Are you are you guys part of the conversation? I know I was in Juneau and they were talking about this Alberta connection, Can- Canada deal. Is that? I mean, obviously it would connect to Alaska, right? So is that something that would? Well, we've had some great conversations with the folks. Uh, their company's called Alaska to Alberta, and uh, their intention is to uh, expand the railroad from where we end at Isleson and take it all the way down to Alberta for moving uh, resources back and forth. Would it be people too? You know, that's. The, I imagine if somebody wanted to spend three days or so on a train, uh, they could certainly do it. But they have they have the Trans-Siberian Railroad in Russia. They do, which is about a week from Moscow to Vladivostok. But do people choose to go on that train, or are they sent on that train? Uh, currently, choose. Previously sent. Yes. That's, oh, okay. That's, so the times have changed. The gulags. Yeah. Exactly. No, pe- people do it in Russia. I spent a lot of time in Russia. People go on that train for for a few reasons. One is very Europe as well, but especially Russia. So it's, it's trains kind of a cultural. It's not just like a ride. It's like there's like people you get on. There's like this kind of you eat food, you have drinks. It's a it's kind of a it's a cheaper as well. But it's like the, the, the culture of the train in Russia is in Ukraine as well and parts of Eastern Europe. It's very different than I mean, a lot of people ride Amtrak and they take Amtrak trains. But and it's fun. I grew up doing that. But 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 also it's just, um, you know, it's actually a lot cheaper. So, you know, to fly from Moscow to Vladivostok might cost so much and you're going to get there very quick. Well, but we, we but you also have people on the, on the way that who aren't going the whole way. They're just going parts of the way. Well, we have a train that's a little bit like that, that, uh, you know, really is a community train is really where folks uh, get together and see each other. It's the Hurricane Turn train that we run in the wintertime where folks who live between Talkeetna and Hurricane Gulch uh, who are off the grid, off the road system, their only way to access their homesteads or their property out there, whether it be where they live year-round or a recreational property, is by getting on the train. And so we still have flag stop service on was, that section. I was going to ask, so are, you see the, video, the movie or the TV show sometimes or the, the people hold up the flag and they're whatever and they, the train stops. Absolutely. We're one of the last, if not the last, flag stop service in North America where folks can actually uh, flag us down and uh, and the pl- train stops and get us on that, on that route there. And it's really important. It's a critical piece 
uh, for those folks to be able to access where they live, where they recreate, and we're happy that we're able to provide that. So what's the, right now, the kind of the medium term to long term plan or um, idea for the for the, what the train is going to be, Alaska train system is going to be, or well, ra- Alaska railroad is going to be? Well, you know, there's a lot of proposals. Of course, there's the Alaska Alberta folks. There's the talk about uh, Ambler Mine and whether there'd be a railroad out there or a road. There's always a conversation about going to Nome or yeah, I've heard, uh, I've heard that going too, to Nome. the slope. But, and, of course, even finishing out the Port McKenzie uh, spur that we have out there that, uh, you know, is, 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 is in process um, and has been kind of uh, – it's not cold storage or mothballed, but is on hold for right now. Um, you know, the Alaska Railroad uh, survives year to year on, on what we take in in receipts. We don't get any operations money from the state of Alaska. We get some federal grants based on our passenger service, just like every other railroad that carries passengers in the country. Uh, but we don't have the financial backing or, you know, the cash to be able to say, yep, let's put uh, half a billion dollars into a project to build rail to here. But we, you know, if there are economic reasons that make sense, we are there to support that and to make those sort of things happen if the, you know, whether it be the state or the federal government or, or in particular, private industry decides that they want to make something like this happen and sees a business model for it to, to work, we want to be there to help it. So I've heard a couple times mentioned, I don't know if, know if it was ever a serious proposal, but some kind of speed train or like high speed train from, from Anchorage to the Valley. And, and it's funny because I grew up in New Mexico. And Albuquerque, and there's a train that I don't know, maybe ten or fifteen. It was after I moved. It's called the uh, the 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 Rail Runner, like a road runner, and it goes from Albuquerque to Santa Fe, uh, which is about the same distance to the Valley. It's it's actually been expanded quite a bit since then, but uh, it's really awesome. I mean, you can park at a big parking lot, hop on the train, boom, you know, you're there quickly. I mean, I I, I know it'd be a big cost, but I know there's been talk about that. Wouldn't it be incredible if we had a high speed? deal to the valley well it doesn't even have to be high speed just the idea of having a you know an opportunity for folks who live in the valley to come into anchorage uh, on a daily basis and we've been having those conversations for a number of years about how we could provide that and there a number of years ago uh, we put together a proposal that we could run a winter program because in the summertime our tracks are too busy at this point in time we've got too many passenger trains too many freight trains too many gravel trains going on the tracks and we don't have the equipment uh, uh, available, all the equipment is in use in the summertime uh, with the, the passenger service and freight that we already provide. But there is an idea that we could do something in the wintertime. So we put together that proposal. It looked like it would cost about $7 million a year after what was collected at the fare box. So, you know, there's a, a big supplement that would have to be made there. And, uh-huh. and we, at that point in time, were uh, looking at doing it ourselves, which is exactly the same point in time that uh, the refinery in North Pole shut down, and that kind of pulled us back from that. Now, there's, oh, been okay. conversa- there's been conversations over the last several years. There's been a couple of commuter rail groups that have been put together to take a look at this project, but the numbers haven't changed very much. $7 million or so a year is what would need to be, uh, you know, subsidized in order for this to work beyond what it would get at the fare box. And we're talking 10 to 15 bucks per person to take the train out and back. Um, and then it'd still have a lot of subsidies that are required on top of that. So would you have to, to do that, would you have to build a, a new terminal? Or, I mean, because it's a Ship Creek, right? So there's there's to... a lot of infrastructure. You know, that's the other part about it is you get these people down to Ship Creek and then what? Because there's not that many people that work in Ship Creek. You've got to get buses or taxis or some other so – or, the, the... or another rail system or something that, you know, gets them to those places. We go out to the airport. Of course, we've got a spur that goes out there so you could – get folks out there but there's a lot of infrastructure it, that it goes down to 
Girdwood, but I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no stops, right? There's no uh, terminals. In Girdwood? No, I mean on the way down there, you go through through, through South Anchorage, but it's just track, right? There's right, no, it's just track. Because in New Mexico, they built this rail. Have you heard of this rail runner thing? Uh, I've not. You should, you should look into it. So they they built it for, initially from Albuquerque to Santa Fe, and now it's gone uh, further south. And I think it's even gone further north. But they have these. They built it, right? So they have these stops along the way, and it's these big kind of terminals. But they have these huge parking lots, right? So you can put your car there. Right, but, but there's, so there's convenience stops along the way. Right, where you and get they've off. got those, you know, those are all over the lower 48, right? I mean, they're in Chicago and they're in mm-hmm. Seattle and they're in San Francisco. And, and Europe is trains are just a huge part of. Well, Europe is, you know, Europe is all about trains because they had a hundred years of trains before the cars came along. So it made, you know, so they've got tracks everywhere. Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, we're looking into it. We're continuing to have a conversation all the time about what sort of opportunities are out there and. Uh, at some point in time, it'll probably happen, but don't what, know don't know when. What about like an Elon Musk uh, underground bullet? You know the air deal they're talking if, if about. If he wants to, if he wants to come up here and bring his boring company up, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that there's all sorts of opportunities. Have for you heard about that. that thing, like that tunnel, the air pressure tunnel, oh, where yeah. it shoots a projectile? You're, you're essentially uh, past- in a, you're essentially in a bullet. Yes. Yeah, that's high energy. Yeah, I don't know that I want to do that. I mean, boom, you're there very quickly. I think I might. I think uh, you know, if you're doing that between L.A. and San Francisco, I'm I'm depending on how uh, well. Earthquakes. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it after well, it happens. So, what about Japan? I mean, I've been to Japan. Those trains in Japan, those are fucking fast. Those yeah. are cutting edge, right? Yeah, High those speed. are amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, you know, one of the things that you got to remember is that we are a very small fish in a small pond when it comes to the railroad industry in this country. Mm-hmm. So, when innovations are going to happen, it's the big guys who do it first. And so, uh, you know, we're looking at all sorts of things that they're working on and trying to figure out down the road how we can bring that into us doing it because they're the ones with the larger resources. They're the ones that look at, you know, new innovation and, you know, and spend the R&D money on doing that. And then we come in and pull it off the shelf rather than doing the R&D on ourselves. I love trains. I grew up, uh, we used to go, I grew up in New Mexico, so we used to go, my parents are from Chicago. So we, we would go on the Amtrak. Yeah. Uh, once, at least once a year, sometimes more, we'd, we'd go to Chicago. So it's like a, kind of a two day, uh, two night, you know, two day deal. And I just love the train. I mean, you know, flying's quick, obviously it's, you get there quick, but you know, you meet people, you go to the, you go to the car, you play cards. You're, I'm surprised that you like to go on a train and meet people. That just shocks me, Jeff. Really? They I'm so shy. I have what they call approach anxiety. I can tell. It's very difficult <laughs> for me to, to talk to new people, but no, I mean, I, the train, the experience I, I do, I've done the chamber train. I've done the ski train deal. I've done other, and it's just, uh, it's great. You know, and you say, you say they sell out so quick. I mean, it's because I think people enjoy that experience. Yeah. So let me tell you about one of the things that I love to do. Um, uh, you know, we've got a little train trip uh, that we do south every day in the summertime to Spencer Glacier and Grandview. The train actually leaves Anchorage early in the morning, goes to Portage, uh, goes to Portage, then to Whittier, back to Portage again. And then after it leaves Portage, it goes to Spencer Glacier, uh, off the road system, drops people off, and then goes out to Grandview Glacier and drops some people off there too. What I like to do, and I do this almost every summer with my kids, is we go out to Spencer. Uh, you, you drive out to Portage. You get there about noon. You get on the train. It's about a 30-minute train ride in. takes you into Spencer Glacier. You have about three hours or so that you can hike around. You can hike up to the glacier and back. Uh, there's forest. We've got a partnership with the Forest Service out there. They have uh, rangers out there. There are concessionaires who do kayak trips or rafting up to the glacier, rafting down the river. And then the train comes back, picks you up, takes you back to Portage, 
just in time to go grab dinner in Girdwood at uh, one of your favorite restaurants down there and have chair, chair five, chair five, or uh, uh, or double musky, double musky or, uh, or Jack's Pratt's mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you know, or or uh, just hit the bakery or the little taco shop, right? The the, the coast. Or pizza, just go to the Sismark and slam some beers. If that's you know whatever you want to do, but that's <laughs> the way to end the day, right? I mean, and it's it's a wonderful time to have with the kids, wonderful time with family, wonderful time with visitors that you have in here. Just a little day trip, and I love doing that, and uh, have taken literally hundreds of people on that trip and have had a wonderful time that's 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 the beauty of the, the railroad yeah it is well it is. tim tim i want to thank you for doing that. i've been trying trying to uh, get you for a while in the podcast and this has been this has been awesome i love the railroad and i love hearing about your your history i mean it's a very fast i didn't know your mom was in the legislature yeah and it, 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 you know it's, it's also for years i thought you know, casey was your brother well you know <laughs> but he's your we, uncle yeah well you know i got the good looks he got the charm that's the way that works <laughs> I'll have to get a podcast with him, and he can he can respond to that. Yeah, exactly. Give him his fair his fair time. All right, Tim. Well, I want to thank you again, Tim Sullivan from the Alaska Railroad. It's been a, it's been a good podcast. I, I, enjoy, I appreciate it. Great. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yep, uh, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, let me know and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.